Hello, and welcome to The Mummer's Farce, a podcast about the visual production of HBO's Game of Thrones. I'm Kate Barry. I'm Dan Solberg. And today we'll be talking about episodes 9 and 10 of the first season. They're called Baylor and Fire and Blood, and they're both directed by Alan Taylor. Uh, Dan, do you want to give us a preview of what we're going to be talking about for episode 9? Sure. Yeah, so for, for Baylor here, we've got, uh, well, some of the things coming to a head quite literally. Ned starts out here in the dungeons in the dark, has another kind of dire conversation with the Varys. Rob and company uh, need to cross the river. Um, I think it's the Trident mm-hmm. or, or the Red I Fork. So. I don't know. I, I forget. One of the forks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, they need to make a deal with the phrase, so he sends his mom, Cat, who has a history there, to, to make a deal. Um, comes back, and the, there's this marriage pact that he's going to have to fulfill. John is gets Longclaw, um, and he learns that Maester Aemon is actually Aemon Targaryen. Um, Drogo falls from his horse, which is really bad news for him. Danny pleads with uh, Miriamon's Dur, who's uh, the the Meiji is what they they call her, um, to to save him, and by any means necessary. So she implements dark magic, and. Uh, there's a cliffhanger at the end of the episode where we don't know what the result of that is. She passes out. She's um, giving birth as well. Um, so we don't know what happens at the end of the episode. Tyrion meets Shay. Is Bronn brings Shay to Tyrion, and we we get to know the both of them. They play some games in their tent. Meanwhile, uh, or, or soon thereafter, there's a battle ensues outside the camp. Tyrion leads his uh, Vale tribesmen into battle and is knocked out early on, but survives. They win the fight, but it was a uh, it was a bit of a ruse on Rob's part, and so it was an easy fight. Meanwhile, Jamie gets captured on the other sort of front line, and that all goes down that way. However, King's Landing, uh, we have the unfortunate then surprise beheading of Ned Stark, much to the uh, displeasure of of most of the the high court in attendance, um, other than Joffrey, of course, who's very satisfied with himself. So. That's where we end, and there is a so there's a few cliffhangers. There's a, a few things going on with this where a lot of uh, stuff feels unfinished, and because of the way this episode ends up ending and the next one beginning, it basically these two episodes almost feel like one continuous episode. And the the, the single director of Alan Taylor um, helps with that too. Though I feel like I did notice some slightly different styles from episode to episode. Only slight. Mainly, I think that the second one has. A little bit more uh, things of visual interest to hmm. me. Um, yeah. A little bit more uh, sort of, I don't know, dynamic cinematography or what, but um, I found myself uh, reaching for the screenshot button a little bit more in the, in the second, <laughs> in our episode 10 rather than episode 9. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's, I don't know, that's, that's what's going on here. Yeah. It's a big shocker episode. I remember being very surprised that this would... Uh, actually take place here and Ned the Sean Bean character if you dismiss the fact that Sean Bean dies and just about everything that he's in um, he's the main character and he gets his head chopped off <laughs> yeah I think that was the signal that to everyone that this show was different and that it what it wasn't afraid of killing off beloved characters mm-hmm. or main characters and um, yeah and to have his death and then um, Khal Drogo's fatal illness right to ha- you know I think he was also a fan favorite, and that he doesn't—he doesn't live much longer either. Mm-hmm. So, and a lot of potential there, right? He said with all the stuff he was going to do, and yeah, you nope. Know, <laughs> plan. Did you, when you first saw it, did you ever? Did you know anything? Like, did, had, had the reputation of the show preceded it? 
Yes, okay. I I knew I knew it was coming, okay. um, but uh, it was still it was still a shock. Mm-hmm. But I think that I, I came late enough to the game that most people I knew that um, that, that Sean Bean was not going to live. Mm-hmm. Um, Did you? But you didn't I, know. I didn't know. I you know I don't remember the exact details of what I what I knew and didn't. But I had not looked into it at all. Yeah. And I was genuinely surprised. And actually, maybe this is a good place to start talking about the episodes actually at the end because it's mm-hmm. it's really the first thing that people think about when they when they talk about this yeah. one. It's what the the title is in reference to Baylor, mm-hmm. which. I don't know. Do you think there's anything sort of metaphorical going on with them calling this episode Baylor? Is it literally just about this is where it happens? This is this Arya's next to the statue it's, and right. sapped all that stuff. I don't know. Do you see anything else going on with that? Well, I mean, at least in the cosmology of of King's Landing and the show, that Baylor is supposed to be the merciful, the most pious of of mm-hmm. all of the the Westerosi kings, and so maybe that that. Uh, Joffrey especially sort of he calls this mercy right mm-hmm. that this is this was a merciful act and and that the calling things mercy that aren't very merciful or as and, and also in in Danny's storyline things that she thinks are mercy mm-hmm. which which aren't really or that or that like um th- something that can look like mercy but isn't merciful or something that isn't very merciful mm-hmm. that that someone calls mercy um that that might be tied up in the name Baylor mm-hmm. yeah um when I yeah, so when I first saw this episode, I was a little surprised by it, and there is like, though the beheading does happen, there is a little bit of like it's so shocking, and it's almost actually a little bit of a cliffhanger ending, because we don't see Ned's head separated from his body, right? Right. The final shot we see of it is the the sword going through, but it happens so fast. You almost are in disbelief, and you want to be like, "Did he miss? You know, is it is he actually dead?" Uh, and we're so used to this notion that someone will be saved in the last mm-hmm. moment that I think, yeah, probably a lot of people the first time they saw this, if they hadn't read the books, then they might have thought that they were going to see like a living Sean Bean, like rolling out of the way mm-hmm. in in episode ten, but um, or somebody no, threw a knife, or somebody an arrow intervened yeah, somehow. Yeah. Arya got up there or something, right? Because mm-hmm. um, there is. There's this constant kind of contact between, uh, uh, you know, he's looking to Arya, he sees her out in the crowd, and Arya's looking back. I think Yorin actually has pulled her down at this point, but um, still it's like, oh, maybe something happened. And, you know, those final moments of Ned's delirium where he's like, the, the audio fades out. Yeah. And it just, well, it doesn't, not entirely, it just comes very muffled. Mm-hmm. Everything sort of slows down, becomes in slow motion. It's kind of like last moments are stretched out. And I think it's interesting then that he's also, like, the shots that we get are, one, we see the back of his neck, seeing, like, where he's going to get cut, but he's also, like, looking out at the crowd, which, I don't know, maybe he's, like, looking out, it's it's kind of playing with us as the audience, right? We're the crowd looking on, sort of, like, with our expectations, and he's, like, in disbelief that this is going to happen, and maybe that's, maybe we're also supposed to be in, in mm-hmm. disbelief that it's going to happen, um... And again, the, the kind of the cliffhanger that this leaves is sort of the sharp cut uh, of the sword, which also then is a sharp cut uh, to black and, mm-hmm. and the credit sequence. Um, reminds me a little bit of a later season where Sir Barristan gets killed yeah. in the episode. And that episode ends and it's kind of like, wait, did Barristan die? Because people get stabbed all the time. Right. Uh, and Grey Worm gets stabbed and he's not dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's actually 
I actually only knew that Barrison was dead because in the preview for the next episode, it's like somebody's like, what looks like him is like laying on this uh, plinth. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I'm also, I remember that scene and I think that was just a worse scene. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that one, it came it came out of nowhere that Sir Barristan and, and Grey were supposed to be very good fighters mm-hmm. and they're just sort of jumped by a couple of punks in an alleyway. Yeah. Um, in later seasons, people who should die survive, right? Mm-hmm. There's lots of people, especially in this most recent season, who were like absolutely dead and they come back. Um, and so maybe we thought that would happen in the first yeah. season, but no. Yeah, it's Ned's kind dead. of, and that's what was so refreshing about a lot of things with the show mm-hmm. is it felt like it was bucking a lot of those trends. It was like, oh, well, in TV, the star doesn't die. In mm-hmm. TV, this is sort of, this wrong is righted. Mm-hmm. And the show from here on sort of like keeps playing out like, no, the the virtuous characters don't always win. All mm-hmm. this kind of bad stuff happens. And even at the end of a season or even, you know, the end of an episode, all these kind of like potential points in a normal television arc where the situation writes itself maybe to like instigate another cliffhanger mm-hmm. so rarely happens and i wouldn't i wouldn't necessarily blame people for getting turned off on the show for at a certain point it feeling like a little bit of a slog where like none of the characters that i like ever sort of <laughs> have anything good happen to them um and uh it's a lot of uh misery for everybody to sort of sit through that's what i love about it yeah <laughs> because uh, the show um I mean, almost always has another just as as interesting character to take mm-hmm. the place of your favorite, right? I've had lots of favorites die, and always another one that takes his place. Um, and it makes the stakes of the show so much higher. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, if if I think there's any sort of... Um, in, in many ways, I think the show is getting better and more interesting. But if there's anything that I think is sort of a general critici- criticism is that people like the hound right who should have been dead dead mm-hmm. right comes back um and and most you know uh most obviously john snow yeah. that that's something that i loved about the show that they didn't pull their punches that when someone was dead like they were dead yeah. and and that it it can be frustrating that people that that um that's changed mm-hmm. that because you're the hero you you do become too big to die mm-hmm. um but we'll see. That may not be true this season. So yeah. it's one of the reasons I'm most I'm so excited. Yeah, well I'm yeah. I feel like we're due we're due for lo- losing another like <laughs> huge character. We've had a lot. I've been rewatching some of uh season six and even the first two episodes, there's like eight major deaths, but not like major major. Yeah. Uh like Roose Bolton. Like, okay, that's big, but yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, the way they just get rid of the Dornish plot is well, pretty, <laughs> pretty abrupt. Putting it out of well. its misery. Um, so, yeah. Um, you know, some other things that I was thinking with this final scene. One, I don't know that we get to see this. I don't know that we've seen Baylor's Sept really since. Like, I'm, I'm assuming this is different than the Great Sept, right? Because that wouldn't be Baylor's thing, probably. He was more simple in terms of the adornments of things. I don't know. I can't. I guess I, now I can't remember if if those are two names for the same place. Mm-hmm. But because I know that in season six, when um, the High Sparrow is before he's about to nab uh, Cersei, mm-hmm. that he's like, "Do you know who made this?" I don't know some sort of chapel. Yeah, yeah. And she's like, "No, I, I don't know. I must have known." And he says, "No, no one knows. They didn't put mm-hmm. their name on it. Not like that great monstrosity." And I think he may call it Baylor's, but I'm not mm. sure. I can't remember either, but. I guess regardless of whether or not 
technically it's the same one. Mm-hmm. They definitely use different sets. Yes. Right. We're in we're in a different place here. They do have the the sept set. Or they maybe they just have the throne room set. Have we seen the sept this season? I can't recall. Nobody big has died yet, except for John Aaron. Maybe that was supposed to be in the sept. Yeah. They. Yeah, and they probably did that in like some modified version of the throne room thing right. too. It looks it looks like the throne yeah. room. Yeah. Um, so yeah, maybe they were just still getting some of this stuff together. Um, the I, it always kind of struck me the platform that they're on in Baylor Sept feels very theatery to me. Mm-hmm. It feels like fake rocks that they've <laughs> kind of carved into these shapes, and it doesn't match the color of the other stones around them. So it feels very kind of like brought in hmm. kind of deal. Maybe maybe it, maybe it's supposed to look like that, or I don't know, but yeah. it looks uh, like a theatrical production to me. Well, and I know maybe I'm giving them a lot of credit, but mm. it, it is it is theater, right? Everyone mm. is, is going up there, and even Pycel, he is setting up um, an opportunity for, for Joffrey to show mercy towards Ned, right? Mm. And um, especially the conversation before that Ned and Varys have in the Black Cells at the beginning of the episode, where Varys says, you know, I was I grew, drew up, grew up with a, with a mummer's troop. We mm. acted. I learned how to act. I'm an actor. Mm-hmm. And Ned says, well, I'm a soldier. I grew up with soldiers. I die like a soldier um that the whole thing is is a farce mm-hmm. ned um con- confesses to crimes he hasn't committed yeah um and then sort of joffrey and cersei are supposed to pretend to believe him yeah. and to let him live on the wall but instead when everyone's supposed to be acting out a certain part joffrey takes it away and makes yeah. it really real right. <laughs> and and subverts everyone's expectations so mm. um maybe there is supposed to be something kind of False about it. I mean, it, it does mm-hmm. even um, Sir Illyn putting on an executioner's mask, right? And it, that's, I mean, of course, that's a detail taken from the real world, but something to make it less real, right? That someone covers their face in order to perform the act of execution. Mm-hmm. I don't know. So maybe there is something about, they certainly are arranged like they're on a mm-hmm. stage during his execution. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're, they're all very kind of standing. It's all for the audience, right? And I think that in some ways that makes that, again, that subversion of audience expectations all the more sort of in contrast with, with what we all thought was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, everything's sort of done up and ready to go. Um, some uh, really, I don't think we see Joffrey in this getup any other time. Hmm. Um, I think it's one of, he's got a few kind of memorable looks. I, this is Maybe <laughs> it's because the the trauma of the scene, we sort of remember these details, but um, it's just, it's maybe his most, like, foppish, like, yeah. outfit that he has on. He's basically, like, wearing, like, a triangle, um, <laughs> <laughs> where, uh, he's got this kind of, like, flowing, not really flowing, but, um, uh, these sleeve, like, flaps that kind of drape out to the sides, and then when the wind's blowing, you can kind of see them blowing around, but they mainly sort of sit at his sides, and everything's just sort of... It's it's all gold inlaid and uh, has this big sort of red lion on the side. Again, from what we were talking about before, him sort of like getting fully into Lannister uh, regalia here mm-hmm. as opposed to Baratheon stuff. And he doesn't look like powerful necessarily. Like he kind of looks like he's been given uh, like royal boy clothes or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> he's always dressed up like quite a royal boy. Yeah, he's a real royal boy. Um and so I don't know. It was, it's it, I think it makes it all the more infuriating that he's the one actually being able to wield power because they make him look kind of infuriating. Mm-hmm. Like oh, this is like 
He's so punchable. His face is just yeah. deeply punchable. Mm-hmm. He's got his uh, his hair all like bunched up under his mm-hmm. under his crown. It's like... And this is where, I mean, his misogyny has has shown up before. Mm-hmm. But he says, you know, my my mother and Lady Sansa want me to show mercy, but they have the weak hearts of women. Um, I you know I will cut off his head instead. That he mm-hmm. he um, is always using. Um, pretty uh, awful language to talk about women and about their soft hearts when it's like no he you're just a, you're a sadist mm-hmm. like that doesn't make you a man yeah um but when he is still such a child that he's that he's trying to take on this really masculine persona even though it's um it's not a good fit mm-hmm. yeah he's trying to have it all at once and he's uh well i guess he does for a while nobody seems to fight back Cersei yeah. seems powerless there's the that shot immediately after sort of the announcement of bring me his head when Sansa and Cersei both like at, right next to him at the same time both like reach out to him in this like pleading like what are you doing and then you actually see like other members of the council come over Varys I think comes over and like they seem like they're talking to him and he's just like spinning around like almost excitedly like oh you don't like what I'm doing oh whatever it's happening I'm doing it yeah um and everything just kind of proceeds it's like that that word was enough to kill it <laughs> yeah yeah um aria i thought it was i don't know if this is a i don't know what do you make of it when we first kind of like come to this scene in king's landing that leads up to the execution uh she snaps the neck of a dove mm-hmm. and i guess that could have a number of meanings right I sure mean, uh piece one being kind right. of i mean it's a pigeon dove whatever you want to call it but uh also the neck specifically being the the manner in which he's killed and i don't know maybe this is like ill portents for for aria going forward that she is sort of brutally (laughs) killing this animal in in the lead up to her father also getting uh getting beheaded and and her path that's gonna that's where that's gonna go after this gets darker and darker Mm -hmm. yeah i mean it's not her it's not her first kill but it's it also ends up being something wasted she wants to trade it for food and then and hearing that Ned is going, or the hand is being taken to um, Baylor's step. She just throws it on the ground, right? It ends up being mm-hmm. sort of a needless death. And uh, yeah, maybe that's even all the perpetuated further when the actual announcement of the execution goes. We we go to Arya and we have this really fast zoom around her in the stat in the Baylor statue that's uh, that she's sitting next to, and it's just this dizzying like. Um, I guess a little bit sort of the audience, but we're we're sort of like in her shoes there and sort of this flurry of action, like we don't know how to process it and sort of maybe a little bit of like kind of like seeing the surroundings, but her surroundings are all blurred because of the speed of the camera movement. Um, and it ends up being just sort of a, another kind of delirious moment. I feel like we've had a number of those yeah. lately with the Starks. And then, of course, at the end, at the very end, after we hear the, the knife or the sword slice, um, her head is being held by Yorin to the sky, so she can't see anything, mm-hmm. and she sees the flock of pigeons, right? So um, there's some symmetry there. Yeah, the birds, there's the birds flying too, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, the, and again, so almost like the the peace doves or something like that, you see this kind of flock of birds, and in this case, it's almost like peace is leaving, right? This is where, this is the point of no return, mm-hmm. um, which which Tyrion is actually in the next episode is, is sure to note to his father and the other armors like this is where you can't drink out of the cup anymore <laughs> it's on the floor and yeah. it's, we have to now figure out a, a totally new path from the from the play the stage uh, that they had kind of worked out up to that point hmm. 
Um, ah, where do you want to go next? Uh, maybe the twins? Sure. So in, uh, I haven't done this maybe at least for two weeks, but in mm. Catelyn Stark's idiot moment, yeah, um, we, she, she says, okay. Lord Walder would never harm me. <laughs> and the way that everyone speaks the words that are sort of their doom, that we'll talk about this when I get back, Ned, right? Mm. She's, this is hers, um, that Lord Walder would never harm me. He's known me since I was a girl. I'm fine. <laughs> um, but uh, that's all right. She's her life's about to get a lot harder so I, she's not I'll, I'll try to be kind to her going forward but um what i loved about um meeting the phrase is uh when, once we see his um it's not a throne room what is it what would you call that i you know it's an interesting <laughs> place yeah uh maybe his great hall his great hall yeah but he's he's he sort of set it up like his own little kingdom mm. um there, it's the most dour scene, I think, mm-hmm. anywhere. He has no decorations. There's nothing. In most of the other, um, in most of the other halls, there's, there are tapestries, and there are candles, and there's lots of food, mm-hmm. and there's nothing. It's just him and his sad 15-year-old wife, and then all of his children sort of sitting. And they've got kind of, he's in the center in a, in a boring chair, and then they're on his sides in, in almost like um, pews or something. Yeah. And they also have this, they, they're also the phrase, have the worst costumes of just anyone. Um, but it is, it's the most depressing place, and it's so well conveyed mm-hmm. um, that this is not a happy place. Uh, mm-hmm. And you can imagine it being over the river. It's probably wet and cold. Mm-hmm. And, and he actually emphasizes that when he's speaking to Kat. First he warms his hands, but then he ends up lifting up his garments and warming his butt against the fire in a pretty disrespectful gesture. <laughs> so I, but I thought that was so well done that often when we meet a new character, they're like in the lap of luxury. Mm-hmm. And that when we meet Walder Frey, he just has the saddest castle in the world. Yeah, it's abject misery at, at the twins. The, the costume, they have these, like, woven hats that have these little floppy ears that, like, I don't I don't know what those are supposed to do other than to look stupid. <laughs> like, <laughs> other than to make them look like some, like, sad mammal that got wet that yeah. was not supposed to be wet. It makes their hair look particularly bad. Mm-hmm. It, I mean, it really, its only function is just to make people look um, pretty unhappy. Yeah. It's like a really thin stocking cap and... Yeah, it, it's almost like a yeah. It's it. I don't even know what use it would serve as a hat, um, <laughs> other than to be a fashion accessory and to be some sort of like really uh, hideous uniform for them all to wear. Um, you know, color wise in there, it's also there's some really kind of dark browns, but there's almost like this kind of green filter almost applied. To, like everything's like moldy or mm-hmm. like rotting, and it's it's as far as like kind of. Uh, we haven't been to River Run yet, but um, thinking about the idea of sort of a, a river lord's castle and keep, um, this one fe- seeming like that's the case, but maybe it's also like, gotten a little wet. <laughs> maybe this one's been like underwater or something. I, or at least that, not literally, but that's kind of the feel you get from it. Covered um, in algae or mm-hmm. mold, yeah. I, I love how like everybody's just sitting there, you know, like... I like thinking about what this scene was before Catelyn arrived, <laughs> where it's just Walder and his his young wife, and then like all of these people, and you can just imagine them like bickering back and forth, and uh, Lord Walder just kind of like I don't know, sit, sitting there not happy himself about all the people who are, you know, scrambling to to want to take power from him, and you know everybody's sort of like 
honoring the rights to a certain degree of like he's the lord of the castle everybody sorts of like obeys him um but nobody's really happy about it and nobody <laughs> also it, it speaks to uh lord walder's uh rabbit-like penchant for reproducing mm-hmm. and how many people are there and they're all essentially phrased we haven't been introduced to them that way yet that'll happen later uh when we see just like how he can't remember everybody's name of his own children and cousins and all this kind of stuff and that's 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 his means of like securing power right it's breeding and uh sending out his children to to wed other houses and sort of bring them into into um being uh allies right with the twins but that's something that he's felt that um the tullys have have disrespected him and so that's mm-hmm. why when cat makes her arrangement in order for rob and his army to to cross the river that they end up with not just one but two marriages to, mm-hmm. to phrase um and they're it's gonna go badly for everyone yeah. <laughs> i'd forgotten that aria was promised to anyone it makes um what she does in season six to walder Frey sort of all the better that yeah. she was like i'm not gonna marry your son old man <laughs> yeah <laughs> i'm gonna bake him into pies mm-hmm. and he's also you know they make walder Frey so wonderfully cast i can't remember the actor's name but it's mm-hmm. it's uh the same guy from uh the harry potter yeah movies and is such like a you know he's got like this longer nose or certainly like this forehead that kind of like leads forward it's very he ends up having and this is emphasized by the costuming and everything. Everybody looks at oh, the phrase with kind of weaselly, mm-hmm. um, very kind of like long features. And I think that's also supposed to make us think that they're not trustworthy or something like that, right? Because of, of what happens with the Red Wedding. And you think about the, the associations that that has with uh, the story of the Rat King up by the wall and, you know, uh, cooking your own uh, children and whatnot, or your own uh, kin, mm-hmm. rather. Um, and... Uh, so that kind of brings those kind of rat-like parallels. Yeah, we're meant to sort of like see those kind of connections there in the in the casting, and certainly I think that the the costuming, the hats that we've talked about, really uh, make that more uh, more apparent mm-hmm. uh, than that's the case. Granted, we haven't been given a lot of that information yet in the show, um, but we're just having to gleam from the aesthetics of the place at this point. But I think it's pretty well telegraphed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Rob uh, and Theon and crew, and then they get the news back from Catelyn later, and there's a, a pretty fun uh, racking focus moment between uh, Rob and Theon, where after the news has been revealed, and uh, Catelyn's like, you have to marry one of the Frey's daughters, and Rob says, did you get a look at any of them? Mm-hmm. And Theon just sort of cracks up, and we just focus on him. And, you know, then it's all back to business. But uh, Well, I think later, when we get to the next episode, and we have some talk about uh what these different armies are looking to do tywin uh with uh getting back jamie rob with kind of getting back uh his sisters and and ned who is still alive at this point there really is this emphasis on like highborn priorities in a certain Mm -hmm. sense and in some ways that he has to marry Frey really shouldn't be like that big of a deal like he should just kind of roll with it like this is sort of your job as the highborn person mm-hmm. and that it's seen as some kind of actual sacrifice uh you know at least he does go along with it for the for a time right <laughs> right and that's maybe one of the bigger changes um in, in motivation between the show and the books mm-hmm. right that that um uh rob of the books does end up forsaking his oath but for a much better reason and mm-hmm. it doesn't seem um 
quite so stupid and selfish mm-hmm. uh, as it does in the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in 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 the books, he is is wounded, right, and then kept at someone's castle, mm-hmm. and ends up finding the company of their daughter, <laughs> yeah. and she's impregnated, and then out of honor, he he breaks his oath mm-hmm. to Walder Frey and marries her. Yeah, whether rather than in. Um, season two of the show of Game of Thrones that he just like finds a nurse that he thinks is hot yeah. and decides to marry her instead. Yeah. Well, I... <laughs> <laughs> it's a mistake either way, but, but uh, it's a, mistakes it's a... were made. <laughs> but it's a more selfish mistake sure. in the show. Yeah. It makes it hard to root for Rob. We're like, <laughs> you really brought this upon yourself, bud. Uh, yeah. So I don't know that. That's that's main. I think that's what I've got for uh, some of the Riverland stuff here with with Rob and, and company is it, until sort of the uh, um, the the Lannisters get involved mm-hmm. here and we have the the fight and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have too much for John this episode other than uh, him getting Longclaw, of course, and mm-hmm. um, we have the the reveal of of Aemon. There is kind of a nice cut when we go to the Wall, where this was just after the exchange of. Um, between Catelyn and Rob, where we had, the, again, that racking focus with Theon to talk about uh, the phrase there. And then we cut to the wall, and we've got uh, meat being butchered for the crows. So mm-hmm. perhaps a feast for crows sort of <laughs> foreshadowing here, where uh, this is going to all kind of go wrong. And that is that is literally a lot of the ways where the, the feast for crows in the books is all about sort of the war that happens, of War of the Five Kings and the afterword specifically in the things after the the Red Wedding and all this kind of stuff where there's all these bodies floating down the river. And it's all about the sort of the feast that's left for the crows in the Riverlands, more mm-hmm. or less. And so it, it is kind of a, a direct uh, correlation there. Though I guess crows, ravens, maybe I'm bringing that in parallel. It's, they are the ravens at the wall and not necessarily the crows, but hey, blackbirds. Blackbirds. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, I don't have too much there visually, but it is a kind of a... a and really neat reveal to think about Aemon being at the wall, being this hidden, this kind of like hidden Targaryen, mm-hmm. and uh, what we know about the Targaryens to that point. Thinking about Daenerys and what Viserys had to say, like, oh well, turns out he was Viserys was wrong. There is another Targaryen. Aemon's still left at the right. wall, and right. So there's the world maybe is a, a little bit more richer and has this kind of history, even with the people who are still present that we don't quite know. Mm-hmm at that point mm-hmm. uh and then you just get the poutiest john screaming mm-hmm. at master aemon no one else no one knows what i go through <laughs> yeah. so it's just um him being his least reasonable he's at the height of his pouty uh emo boy yeah. uh aesthetic this season yeah i guess it's a it's a good sign that these characters unreasonableness seems like a shock and that that they we do see them grow up because if if john acted like this for six seasons i think i probably would have turned off the show Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) we get a yeah we do get some character evolution thankfully Mm -hmm. um you know so i guess i'd be willing to go to well maybe we do the the lannister let's stay in westeros we can we can end up with uh with daenerys and company over there okay we have uh, Tyrion meeting Shay. Uh, Bronn brings Shay in. He sort of took her from some other uh, commander or some other some soldier knight. or something yeah. like that. Um, yeah, some knight. I think he does say that, right? Um, and we, uh, yeah, she's such a different character than anybody that we've seen so far. Mm-hmm. Um, even uh, you know, even Roz, who's 
in the same industry as as Shay. Uh, she's still very different in the way that she kind of rebukes Tyrion, the way that she um, sort of reveals Tyrion to be like such a, a social jerk and really mm-hmm. this privileged uh, individual who doesn't have much compassion for other people. Yeah. He thinks that he's got the saddest story of all time, but like he's a... Uh, He's kind of met his match in some ways here with Shay in terms of uh, being able to sort of like intellectually hold their ground. Yeah, yeah. We hear his the story of his marriage, um, mm-hmm. and then what his father did when he found out that he married without his consent. We're talking about uh, the setting the scene. Even the Lannister camp is like nicer than the Walder, like Walder Frey's castle mm-hmm. because it's, it's very opulent. Everything is red. You've got these amazing chairs. You've got just piles of fancy fruits and, and suckling pigs. And mm-hmm. I noticed there was like just a beautiful bowl of raspberries and blueberries and strawberries. Yeah. And I'm like, they're out in the field. Yeah, so, we're uh, heading to war. <laughs> um, it's a, it's a, a beautiful and fancy place, which is maybe why Shay doesn't have a lot of sympathy for, mm-hmm. for Tyrion. Yeah, and they, uh, you know, I don't know how much to make of this, and I know there's fan theories about, like, Tyrion being, like, a secret Targaryen. Mm-hmm. I don't buy it, personally. Yeah. You don't buy it either? No, I don't I don't think so. I'm, I'm, I'm interested in what the dragon has three heads means, mm. and it may end up being Tyrion, but that doesn't necessarily make him a Targaryen. Yeah. Um, but here in the show, and the show, again, has this weird... Uh, logic with uh, whether or not Daenerys can be burned or not, mm-hmm. Tyrion just gets burned by the candle. Right. So there you go. Right. Probably <laughs> not. <laughs> um, they're playing a game. He's playing a game with Shay where they've got a candle between their arms, basically. And uh, as it kind of burns down, it's kind of a game of chicken who can mm-hmm. sort of say ow first. And so he does. He, he does. Yeah. He loses that. Um, and he does tell her um, when they first meet, no one will hurt you as long as you're mine. And mm-hmm. then, of course, I'm sorry. I'm I'm thinking about all these things and, and how they end up, but mm-hmm. um, as soon as Tyrion finds Shay in his father's quarters, right. um, he kills her. Right. And so that, yeah, no one will hurt you as long as you're mine, and when right. you're not, then... I kill them all. So there you go. <laughs> um, yeah. And, and yeah, and I think I think one of my favorite parts about this interaction here and the storytelling after Tyrion tells this uh, sad story, uh, the difference in reaction from Bronn versus Shay. Mm-hmm. Bronn says, um, I'd have killed the man that did that to me. So mm-hmm. very sort of warrior-like, I'll get my revenge. And uh, you can imagine Tyrion would maybe think that, but feel incapable of doing so. Mm-hmm. Um, and Shay's reaction is, you should have known that, that she was a prostitute, basically. Mm-hmm. That Tysha, that who Tyrion ended up marrying, maybe fake marrying, unclear mm-hmm. um was actually a prostitute the whole time and it was a sort of a ruse put on by jamie which again they kind of stick to that story in the book in the show it gets kind of i would say needlessly complicated in the books in the, in the books what's real and it what's turns not. out that 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 tywin actually forced jamie to lie and that the whole time taisha was just a was just a girl yeah. and so it makes it it makes it particularly it, i mean it's sad all around yeah. but it just gets deeper layers of sad right and then there's the conversation <laughs> with he and Jamie where, like, he tells him that he knows or, like, he he tells him he didn't know or I don't know. It's, like, there's too many sort of, like, where's the truth in this and what people know about what other somebody else's truth is. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, this is kind of ridiculous. And I think that um, maybe unspokenly that the biggest victim is Taisha and that mm-hmm. no one knows where she is. And, and, and that's a, a concern of, of Tyrion's in the book. I don't think we hear that as much in the where do, where do whores go, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that 
the it's it's she is the victim and Tyrion he may feel bad for her but not as bad as he feels for himself right yeah and that's the thing is he's he's very he's very inward looking he's very sort of woe is me kind mm-hmm. of personality um and it's it speaks to his ignorance it speaks to his sort of disconnect from people who aren't highborn and his sort of un, uh, inability to to connect with them in mm-hmm. a certain way Although my favorite scene of the whole episode came from his perspective. Um, mm. After, so fast forwarding a little bit, mm-hmm. there's a battle. Yeah. Um, he talks to his tribesmen to get them pumped up <laughs> and they actually get pretty excited. They're yeah. cheering half man, <laughs> half man. They, he does his job. And then as they run towards the battle, um, someone's uh, ba- like hammer. battle hammer yeah. um, knocks, him, knocks him out. Um, but my favorite scene was then after he regains consciousness, that the entire shot is flipped upside down, mm. and so you've got these these horses walking on the sky, mm. and and like tribesmen sort of hitting people with their other hammers yeah. um, upside down. And I I did it's not a shot I've never seen before, mm-hmm. but it just it it was interesting. It was it was something different, and there and um, it does I don't know. You're happy that he, he that he survived. Yeah, and he's uh, him sort of lying on the the cart, the wain, whatever it is. Um, and he's like floating right we can't mm-hmm. see the mm-hmm. cart we just see his head and we see the background like his head is i guess it's like hanging over the edge or something and it's just like slowly like drifting in a way that's like almost like he's heading downstream or something like that yeah and uh it's really it's very dreamlike the of course the the audio plays into this it's very kind of muffled and slowly like coming into a, a fidelity that makes sense as uh Bron sort of come ups to him come comes <laughs> <laughs> comes up to him and uh, lets him know that that they actually did win the fight. Um, but yeah. it's an empty victory because mm. um, they've defeated two thousand of Rob's men, mm. where the other eighteen thousand um, met Jamie's army and took him. But I think it. I think I remember reading that it was a money issue that we don't see either battle really, and especially we don't see the battle of Rob and Jamie. Mm-hmm. That we just see a couple of men like happily riding out of the forest saying we got him we got him yeah so it's i mean it's not it's not bad it's a good workaround especially if the if money's tight but it's it's not a glorious battle right yeah i i did i remember that especially the first time i saw this thing being like oh they didn't shoot the fight (laughs) and when i got to the point in the books uh they are able to sort of like hide a lot of the the jamie versus rob battle it's supposed to be in this wood and actually that's taking place from catlin's perspective who's like on this hill like waiting for the return Mm -hmm. so that one maybe makes a little bit more sense to like let's keep this as the book adaptation the other one does feel a little bit more like a time and money thing (laughs) being like we could do like this whole slaughter thing we've got all these people extras out here but uh let's just skip it and uh I remember feeling maybe a little cheated the first time I watched it, um, but then you're like, "Oh, it's okay. There's plenty more fighting to come. We're gonna get our." We'll see so it. many people die. Yeah, we'll see enough of it. Um, also, in the uh, when Tyrion wakes up and there's sort of uh, there before he has the conversation with um, with Tywin, who rides by and sort of reveals what what all just transpired. Um, we get a Wilhelm scream, mm-hmm. which. I think it's the first one we've had so far, and I'm gonna we'll keep a count going of every time we hear a Wilhelm scream. So okay. now we're we've got that at one. Um, if you don't know what the Wilhelm scream is, it's this stock uh, audio cue that uh, I believe was from an old Western film 
uh, where somebody was supposed to was instructed or uh, or this was uh, the actual scene um, to scream like they're being bitten in the leg by an alligator mm-hmm. so it's this I can't do it I was gonna but, ask I cannot <laughs> also but... uh, it, it shows up everywhere you see it in a lot of uh, Spielberg movies it's in every Indiana Jones movie it's in all the Star Wars movies um, it's in video games it's everywhere mm-hmm. um, and it for a while before people kind of caught on to it it was kind of this uh, sound designers kind of like secret code it's sort of like these all these all these uh, uh, sound designers who are like in the know inserting the Wilhelm screams kind of like common language amongst uh, amongst all these films kind of tied together so here it is in this one uh, showing up as a uh, Northmen are writhing in pain on on the battlefield here. Perce- conceivably, it's one of them who actually ends up doing <laughs> the scream. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we, on the other hand, we from that battle we do have Jamie getting captured, uh, being held at, at bloody sword point, um, and he propositions Rob with the one on one combat here. Which I get again. I guess this starts to tie starts to tie in a little bit to the highborn sort of uh, privilege here. Yeah. And in some ways, like, the honorable thing to do would be single combat. Like, right. let's save all this fighting. Why do we have to have all these people fight? We could just have us two save all this bloodshed. Rob knows he'd lose, but maybe that would be the actual honorable thing to do. Instead of... I mean, he's already feeling guilty that he sent 2,000 men to die. Mm-hmm. He could have, He could save many more thousand. Right. Yeah, maybe they won't win the war, mm-hmm. but hey, all these people will be alive still, mm-hmm. right? Um, so it kind of, it, there's this rejection of uh, some of the, how they sort of tie themselves to honor, how they sort of uh, assert them, themselves as, as commanders. What, what do their armies, what do their sort of regiments want to be doing? Do they want to be fighting? Like, it does seem like there is a little bit of a morale boost where their um, the armies in general are, are very ready to go, ready to sort of avenge Ned or save him still in this episode. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, we we don't necessarily get that perspective too much. It's always we're kind of tied into the command tense. Well, that's an interesting comparison. So in Westeros, they talk a lot about uh, people following blood and that, you know, power and authority come Mm -hmm. from who your father was. And, you know, but in Essos... They follow strength. Mm-hmm. And so, um, did you see how smooth my transition Very was? Very deft. I Thank you. I was waiting for you to finish the comment, but yes. <laughs> oh, I interrupted, I, I interrupted my own flow in not, order to pat myself on the back. But um, Not that I expected any less, but... <laughs> but they say that, that um, the Dothraki follow strength. And so, uh, Caldrogo, his wound has continued to fester and gets worse and worse looking. And even though he's he's riding ahead of the entire um um Calisar. The, Calisar, the line, right, but he's he's barely holding on and mm-hmm. he eventually falls out of his saddle. Um I did think it was interesting. It was another sort of cool shot, um, that this happens, he falls and then they also decide to camp um on the edge of a cliff. Mm-hmm. And so it does seem like this is the end, right? Like there's there's nowhere to go from this. Things yeah. are about to to um there's no, there's nowhere to go beyond. Right. And and um, the his blood riders who don't really care for Daenerys anymore, they're like, this is a bad place to camp. And it turns out, yeah, this is a pretty it bad, is, place, it to is a bad camp. place to camp. <laughs> um, yeah. So, but but um, we also see the ways that Daenerys she talks a big game, but she's always because she has Drogo to back her up. Right. Mm-hmm. She says, wait until wait until he's better and sees and and yeah. I'll tell you what he's I'll tell him what you right. said. Um, 
that she doesn't she's she's making a lot of promises but she can't back them up with her own strength Mm -hmm. she's depending on his and it's disappearing pretty quickly yeah it's not a strength that anybody almost nobody else in the Kalasar sees right Mm -hmm. and i guess we haven't really seen as the audience yet either i mean we've seen a bit of persistence with her Mm -hmm. sort of like her making the most of what started out as a very kind of bad situation for her but other than that um you know we don't we haven't we don't have the dragons yet right Right. so we're just on the edge of that cliff Mm -hmm. right but uh yeah and so she asks um mary mazur to to treat drogo to to make him better um i i didn't i hadn't noticed this and i've watched the first season a couple of Mm -hmm. times but um, when she tells Danny, um, you know, death has to pay for life, mm-hmm. and Danny says, "My death," mm-hmm. and she says, "No, not yours." I didn't notice before, but her her eyes go to Daenerys' okay. pregnant stomach, mm-hmm. and so I hadn't. That's not a detail I had noticed before. And her with her mouth, she says, "Bring in a horse," and we're supposed mm-hmm. to believe that the horse's death will pay yeah. for this. But um, with her eyes, she looks at Daenerys' yeah. stomach, and so that's it's her unborn child who will ultimately end up paying for. Uh, called Drogo's sort of veg- sort of death, yeah, vegetative state, <laughs> sort of sort of life, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> he looks so bad in this episode, <laughs> like, and it's again, it's it's this continuation of what we saw from the last ones, where this is tragic fall and like such like such quantity of life and energy and power and strength and all this stuff, and just to see like that, just feels like it feels like the ultimate waste. Mm-hmm. It's like. It's not like this was somebody who was already malnourished, who was already sort of like in the back of the in the back of the ranks and all this kind of thing. It's like yeah. the leader, the strongest one, and you could almost argue like within like he he's not the one that necessarily did something wrong here. He made he made a mis- he made some choices that were unwise, mm-hmm. um, but he was sort of siding with with Daenerys with his wife well, in this case. I mean, other than uh, ransacking and. And sure. right, a village and enslaving the people and raping the women. Sure, <laughs> but, but no, there is there is a feeling that Daenerys is trying to is trying to assert her own values, mm-hmm. right? Even if they're the value the values of like freedom and trusting this female healer, mm-hmm. um, but they end up being the wrong ones. And and I, I'm interested to see how this plays out over the both the show and the books because there have there will be some scenes and continue to be some scenes of a really problematic sort of white savior figure mm-hmm. and of her trying to assert her own values over whole cities and countries. And, and so I'll be sort of interested in like, does the show decide that this is a good way to proceed or that this is going to be her downfall, that she yeah. tries to um, strong arm people into seeing things from her cultural pers- mm-hmm. her cultural perspective? Uh, you know, I think they do a, a great job of making uh, the dark magic that happens in this episode seem scary. Yes. Uh, it's like, whatever happens in this tent, go, don't come in here. They've got these, like, demonic sounds coming out, like, echoing out. Um, everybody is kind of, like, backed away from the entrance mm-hmm. of the tent in fear. Um, that we had the sort of animal sacrifice and sort of these... Uh, Miramaz Dura, like, takes blood and, like, makes these marks on her forehead. It's all these kind of, like, uh, signifiers that we might know from various other kinds of religion and, and sects and all these mm-hmm. different kinds of things. It's like, oh, this is creepy stuff. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and no one thinks she should be doing this. Yeah. And, and Daenerys doesn't even really think so either, right? She's, mm-hmm. 
uh, just backed into a corner and she doesn't know what else to do and seems like her only choice. Mm-hmm. Um, so everybody's like, no, this is bad. Uh, even the characters that we've come to to know trust Daenerys, like Ricaro, mm-hmm. says, don't do this thing. Yeah. Um, this is this is bad news. Um, also, with it being his horse, you know, the, the symbolic meaning of the horse within the Dothraki culture and sort of, it is it is your legs yeah. more or less yeah. um it is sort of uh everything's everything's in the perspective of horses there so the great stallion is considered their god so to to kill something that is sort of the idol of of their people for uh this kind of dark purpose you know that it's it's not like being killed for food because they do eat a lot of horse but um it makes it all the more kind of blasphemous in yeah. the dothraki realm and then, so uh, Daenerys is, is pushed and then goes into labor. And Jorah, who is probably the only one who hasn't heard the warning, don't come in the tent. Mm-hmm. Um, he brings her in the tent. Yeah. And, um, and that's the last that we see, that mm-hmm. Jorah um, carries an unconscious Daenerys into the wailing ghost tent. It's a bad idea. Uh, yeah, uh. it's a real bad idea. Surely somebody else <laughs> could help deliver the baby. Um, just anybody. Right. Anybody uh, Yep. <laughs> Jorah himself maybe would have done a better yeah, job. Maybe I like Jorah's armor here. I know he's been kind of wearing this some other times, but uh, we have some. He gets to be in combat here. Mm-hmm. Um, he uh, faces off against one of Drogo's blood riders, mm-hmm. and I I think he's just got. I, we've seen a number of different kinds of armor sets. His is is very simple. Um, the shoulders are just these kind of curved round uh, plates, and everything is really almost without adornment whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't even think he has his kind of bare sigil on him anywhere, um, at least not on the actual armor. Maybe he's got a, a fabric or something somewhere. I but. wonder. I don't know if I've ever noticed him wearing it. There may be, He may purposely not wear Maybe. anything of his house because he dishonored them. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't want to bring further shame to them. I did. It seems like a, such a whimsical flourish for him. His scabbard has peacock feathers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and I part of me thinks of that that may be like a holdover from his very expensive wife, the mm-hmm. idea of like this peacock, because he really can't call Jorah peacock. Right. He doesn't. He's he's not he's a, at all right. Yeah. So that's something. It's an interesting detail, and I like I want to know like why did they choose yeah. that? But otherwise, he is so unadorned. Mm-hmm. But he's got like these painted peacock feathers on his sword. So I didn't notice that until the next episode um had you seen that had you noticed that earlier i had noticed it at least once before but now i can't remember where okay so it's interesting that 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 would be then consistent that way i mean yeah it could be a holdover it it is ironic though because i think even in the books they refer to dario later as like a peacock right the way he's in the books all like colored up. right right it's like purple beards and whatnot blue spikes and mustachios (laughs) it's like yeah it's very very uh, eccentric in the in the books, um, yeah. So not not Jorah's style at all. Yeah. Uh, one would think. So uh, I feel like there might be some. I don't know. I thought maybe again. I saw this at the uh, at the end of the the next episode, um, and I was wondering if that had something to do with a line you mentioned in one of our previous episodes about him not believing in dragons and needing to see things with his eyes, and maybe at that point we can only see the two. Um, sort of eyeball-looking uh, uh, adornments from of the peacock feather on his scabbard. I almost oh. thought like this is him like going to see it with his eyes, maybe. Interesting. Um, 
or that I don't know. There's a lot of ways to sort of take a an association of eyes if we're if we're seeing it in that context, I guess. But like, I like that, it, and it's a. I mean, the peacock, like the the center of the peacock feather, does look like an eyeball, and maybe if they chose anything else, it would look to like Mary Mazdur. Mm-hmm. She wears an eye necklace um, that looks quite like the like the evil eye, for, mm-hmm. um, but. If he wore something that was more obviously an eye, maybe that would look more suspicious. I don't know. Interesting. Uh-huh. I'd be well if I ever meet Gemma Jackson, <laughs> I'll be like, please tell me why did you choose mm-hmm. um, um, peacock feathers? Yeah. So I think that's getting to my end here of uh, what I have for this episode. You know, I've got the the creepy tent here with the wind blowing through it and everything kind of howling around it. Um, brings us to a, a close and. Uh, I don't know. Do you have anything else for this one? No. Okay. I And I, I mean, I imagine that we'll be referring back because these two episodes are so close. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll go ahead and do our preview for um, the 10th and final episode of season one, mm-hmm. Fire and Blood. It starts off, Ned's dead. Um, and we, we see his, um, the bloody sword and the his head. And so we know for sure that he's been killed. The news uh, gets around, and uh, Bran and Rickon had dreams that he was going to be in the crypt. And then, um, right after that, they see that the news has gotten to Winterfell that yes, indeed, he's been killed. Mm-hmm. Um, Catelyn finds out, and uh, Rob is hacking away at a tree, and she tells them that they will get uh, Sansa and Arya back, and then kill them all. Um, Marillion sings a body song about uh, Robert. And in in the court, and he has um, his tongue cut out um, on Joffrey's orders. Uh, Joffrey also orders Sansa to come up to the ramparts with him, and she sh- and he shows her her father's head. Mm-hmm. She considers pushing him, and really, unfortunately, doesn't. Great John, Theon, and the other Northern lords declare Rob king in the north. Jaime reveals to Catelyn that he pushed Bran from the tower, but doesn't say why. We see Lancel and Cersei naked, so we figure find out that she commits incest with other members of mm. her family. So, good, I guess. <laughs> um, Tywin makes Tyrion the hand of the king in in his stead. So he says, "You go to King's Landing and uh, rule for me, and um, bring Joffrey and Cersei in line." Um, but he says, "Do not bring Shay." Mm. Shay doesn't like that. And Tyrion decides to bring her anyway. Surely that will go great. Yes. John leaves Castle Black when, once he hears of his father's death to go help Rob's war effort. But Gren, Pip, and Sam convince him to come back with a really cheesy scene <laughs> where they do the oath. Mm-hmm. And John talks to Lord Commander Mormont, and they. So he he realizes that he's left. They he reaffirms his oath, and mm-hmm. they decide to go beyond the wall to to check on what's happening with the Wildings and the Whites mm-hmm. and the White Walkers and just to see what's going on. Yorin tells Arya uh, to act like Ari. Mm-hmm. And, sorry. Ari. Ari. <laughs> and uh, they start north um, with the with other uh, convicts who are being taken up to take the black at the wall. Um, she runs into Gendry and some other, some other boys and some other people who will become important to her life. In Essos, we discover that Danny has lost the baby that it was born um, pretty monstrously. And then, uh, but in return, that Drogo has been stabilized, but mm-hmm. is, is basically um, not there. Living, breathing, but um, not really in his body. Mm-hmm. Um, she smothers Drogo, 
And she puts him on a pyre, and she uh, chains Mary Mazdor to the pyre, and then she walks into it. And once it's all burned down, we discover that Danny is fine and is accompanied by three baby dragons. Mm. Wow. And that's it. Wow. <laughs> that's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Busy episode. It's a big one. Um, big season finale. And again, this total like, continuation, picking up moments after the the episode nine ends. Right. Um, and, and in the same spot, too. Um, so that, that bloody sword opening is really grisly. Yeah. Um, it's not just this kind of like, oh, it's kind of some fake blood smear on here. There's definitely like what feels like, you know, membrane. There's some texture mm-hmm. to this. It feels like kind of gritty. And it's a little we, bubbly. Yeah, we see it kind of glopping off of there in a way that um, feels like, oh, this could be like maybe what real blood would do. It's a little stringy. Uh, yeah. It's, it's very, it's gross. Yeah, and the camera pans down the from the hilt mm-hmm. and then so you see you see the sword and you're like oh well that's the sword and then it just gets bloodier and bloodier and then it points to ned's mm-hmm. head as it's lifted up um to show the crowd and so it is um for as much as for some people and when we first watched it that the end of the ninth episode might have felt like a cliffhanger it's resolved immediately yes. that ned has right. no head right they're like no no this is, and they do sort of like they obfuscate some of the not the detail like uh, the bloody sword is very apparent and very much in focus but mm-hmm. ned's actually actual head is um blurred out when they sort of lift it up um or it's it's out of focus in the background um and then later on when uh we've got a few shots cutting back and forth between uh the stage and uh i keep wanting to say harry um <laughs> and harry and ron are over there um <laughs> And Arya and Yorin uh, in the in the crowd, and uh, we even see Ned's decapitated body sort of being shuffled off. But again, it's like surrounded by people. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, was that it? Kind of thing. Oh, it's yeah. back there. Kind of thing. So we're not like given clean shots of Ned's corpse right here to sort of like be like, oh, I just really want to confirm that this is what happened. It's almost like still like letting us almost hold to our disbelief a little bit, mm-hmm. even though it's like. The show is saying, like, no, you're wrong to keep, like, not believing this is the case. But they do it quick enough that we, as experienced TV watchers, and I know we both are, mm-hmm. that we may think that, oh, they're trying to trick us, that yeah. Ned will come back. Um, there's also a great scene where uh, Sansa faints and just slumps over, mm-hmm. and Varys turns around and just, like, looks mm-hmm. and then turns back. <laughs> and so, um, true to his word, he is no hero. He he's not gonna help the poor fainted yeah. Sansa. Sansa has a great like highborn lady faint though. Yeah. Um, very Crumble. like. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would know. probably just break my nose, but she falls like a lady. <laughs> she, fa- she faints like she's fa- falling on a fainting couch. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, so it's a it's a really strong opening, and I I think for me it actually that we open with this sword shot. I I find that this sets a tone for the cinematography in this episode that feels way more. Uh, emotive than mm-hmm. it did in the last one. I felt like episode nine was very workmanlike in a lot of ways. It shot showed us what we needed to see, mm-hmm. but it maybe it was partially a lot of the scenes where there was a lot of conversation scenes. Shay and Tyrion in the mm-hmm. tent, uh, Rob and his bannermen mm-hmm. sort of like talking, and Catelyn talking to Lord Walder. It's a lot of these kind of just like conversation scenes, and we're kind of given, uh, you know various uh, shot reverse shot angles there's a lot of conversation pieces where it's 
here's the shot and we see one character's face and then over on the side we sort of see the shoulder or the side of the head of another character switch back and forth between those two mm-hmm. um and it, it felt very not uh there's nothing wrong with it um but it felt uh again very kind of workmanlike very kind of like no frills yeah um like if if Jorah was doing, <laughs> um, it sort of does the job, but uh, not a lot of sort of uh, extra sort of meat to dig in as far as the visual appeal of it. This one, I feel like there's at least a number of scenes where it's like, oh, there's something kind of really interesting going on here. Yeah. Um, starting out even with this with this look at this sword and the way that then that the death is kind of played out and the the reactions therein. Um, also, uh, I feel like. They've got some really fast ravens here. Yes. Everybody seems to know instantaneously. instantaneously. <laughs> and even us. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's kind of where, where things start. Yeah, you, had, you, you mentioned about how uh, Arya gets her, gets her hair cut, becomes airy a little bit more explicitly here. Because the, ne- the next shot we have is up at Winterfell, where uh, not only is it just like, word somehow got there who knows how it got there it's mm-hmm. literally Maester Lewin has a, a scrolled parchment but I do think that they actually for that one did transition it really interestingly where they had the, the three-eyed raven the three-eyed crow mm-hmm. sort of flying in as which is really the dream sequence we've seen I think this is the third time we've seen these exact shots yes happen um and that then paralleling the the receiving of the news and you know they they go on to make that more explicit as far as he and rick and having these dreams and stuff like that but the actual like this flying in a that's actually maybe not a dream but it's almost like this parallel of what actually was happening with the raven coming with this news mm-hmm. um and then when uh misha lewin goes to deliver the news i took the screenshot of the, we get this high angle shot um and we see the entire courtyard of winterfell and I feel like we get a few things from this. There's the there's the the high angle, which the first time we met Bran, we saw Ned and Catelyn from a high angle. Um, they were up top, sort of overlooking him as he he was shooting these oh, yeah. arrows. So I kind of got this sort of watch over uh, kind of look to it from above. But you know, I think the other thing it does is it sets the courtyard as extremely empty, mm-hmm. where nobody he is the Stark in Winterfell. He's the only one left. It's he. Asha and Maester Lewin, right, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. who are who are here. There's some horses and stuff over to the side, but it's very empty, very gray, very dour. Yeah, and in the crypts is sort of similar, right? That mm-hmm. uh, I mean, not that any crypt is super cheery, but we see that especially Lyanna's statue that's over her grave is is wet, is slick. It looks like mm-hmm. she's crying. Um, and then in the space where Bran is afraid that he'll find um, his father, that Rickon and Shag- Shaggy Dog jump out and we see that um Rickon especially has gone feral essentially mm-hmm. that that he runs around and um and and his dog is not is not as well trained as some of the others right. <laughs> and so um yeah things that at Winterfell have gotten pretty um, I can't believe I'm gonna say this pretty stark like <laughs> <laughs> that, that um you don't say Kate <laughs> very stark there at Winterfell no but it's but it's gotten um sort of extreme that things mm-hmm. that there's not a lot of people and it's and the, the the kids are on their own and they're now particularly on their own their father has been killed you know so we get a couple other reactions uh, to the death well really throughout the episode but even early on here um we see rob and catlin get the news and they each take it 
a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. Um, one, uh, I started to get really excited because this is another scene where I was luckily and lucky enough to go to the set. <laughs> um, and I really hadn't noticed this is where they were the whole time. And I can't think of the name of this, uh, like old, it's a really old, uh, chapel and they kind of hide that it's a, an old chapel ruin. Um, they kind of focus on more of the ruin side of it. Um, but it's a it's a cool place. It's it is like right next to this river. I could see where that why they would choose it for this. Um, but the Rob's reaction shot here, I it really stuck with me because I, I was rewatching the episode. I I remembered. I was like, I know this shot is coming. Yeah. Uh, and it's Rob's face after he's hacking the sword. The sunlight is really sort of right behind him. It's really very bright. Um, so where in a lot of cases you could have these scenes where you'd get this kind of lighting and it would feel very like uh, somebody's over with somewhere with a light that we can't see, like really illuminating. This feels very much like daylight shining on him. And he turns around and he's just got this look of absolute anguish on his face. And I think it's really palpable. Um, it, it, he's hacking his sword and Catelyn is sort of... She's both in grief, but she's also knowing like... You have to be the Lord, Rob. You have to, like, lead these people. You've ruined your sword. Like, she's actually almost, like, not, I wouldn't say disappointed, but she's a little, like, distraught about what Ned's death, the kind of grief and the things that that's setting up for Rob. Yeah. Um, and then when they embrace, you know, we, we have the first of, like, what I actually think are maybe a couple Lady Stoneheart moments huh, <laughs> hearing yes. this. Yeah. Where uh, Catelyn... Her reaction is, we, we're going to kill them. Um, and so we have Rob with, like, basically in tears, embracing his mom. And Catelyn it has this really hard look at when she's got Rob in her embrace and, like, looking over her shoulder. And really, like, not to... Uh, she's certainly upset, but she's very determined mm-hmm. looking. Um, later, The only other other one I have later on is when she's talking to Jamie later and she's literally hitting him with a stone. It's like, right. <laughs> Um, so maybe maybe a little too much to maybe we're uh, uh, finding uh, something that's not actually there no but I, I'm sure it is I mean even if it's just a little easter egg what other point is there for picking up that rock mm-hmm. I, I I think that you're right I think that even if they never put her in the show which is a real shame <laughs> that it must be at least some nod to Lady yeah. Stoneheart mm-hmm. um, and then the uh, you know the the reaction elsewhere, of course, is in King's Landing. Very different sort of reaction to the mm-hmm. death afterwards. Um, where we kind of jump into what feels like this is the new business as usual. We've got uh, the court in attendance in front of Joffrey and the throne. And everybody's, you can imagine, was supposedly supposed to be kind of like bringing their, their issues mm-hmm. to bear. All the whole smell. All, everybody's there. Mm-hmm. Um, and everybody's instead just listening to the singer waiting for what the king is going to say everybody stays quiet it's almost like like there's no way this was going to go well for the singer no it's almost like what are you doing here like why you should you should have <laughs> yeah you should have jumped in front of a cart on the way here because uh-huh. it's going to get it's going to be pretty bad but so he's singing this song about um even though robert was killed by the boar that he was really killed by cersei and the mm-hmm. lannisters and so it's a it's a Song that suggests that the the small folk, as they're called, know a little bit more about what goes in the castle than mm-hmm. you would think. But yeah, um, and it seems a, it like of all the songs to sing, it. I mean, it doesn't seem like the worst song to sing, but it also seems a little risky. Mm-hmm. Like to say something like "I know the truth about something," like 
well, how about we cut your tongue out so you can't talk anymore? <laughs> right, right. Uh, and it seems like a logical uh, conclusion to, to draw. And this is Marillion. Like, Marillion's been getting around here. Yeah. <laughs> they just the... needed one singer. Like, rather than essentially in the books having all these singers, they're like, no, let's just have Marillion He's do everything. He's the best-traveled <laughs> bard in Westeros. <laughs> yeah, and you, and you do see that, I mean, if, if it wasn't already clear, Joffrey's sadism, that basically the only ruling we see him do he listens to the song he does a sarcastic slow clap mm-hmm. he uh sentences merlin to get his tongue cut out and then he says to his mom you can do the rest mm-hmm. and so we see that he's really only interested in cruelty and not interested in all the ruling mm-hmm. uh, and then we have the 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 horrible scene after this where joffrey takes sansa out to the out to the wall which does contain what might be my favorite shot of the episode, which is an extreme close-up on Sansa's face, mm-hmm. where she is contemplating whether or not to toss Joffrey off the the ramparts. I guess mm-hmm. that would we call them ramparts. I think so. Maybe the whatever sort of uh, ledge that they're on, mm-hmm. um, and she has a look on. They've done up her makeup, so she just looks like she's been crying for like forty-eight hours straight, or however long it's been. Um, She's weary. Uh, she's still got blood on her lip. Well, actually, she gets blood on her lip from, from being slapped. Um, but she just, her whole face is red. And she looks like, you know, we know Sansa at this point for being really pouty. She's was a jerk to her septa. Um, and she's very sort of like always mad at Arya and all this kind of stuff. She stuck up for Arya versus, she stuck up for Joffrey when it was the confrontation with, uh, with Robert earlier on. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now we're finally getting to the point where like, okay, well let's, let's see what you can do with your poutiness here, Sansa. You, now you have like real grief. Yeah. Uh, you have something really to be actually upset about. And she gets this like really like, I don't know, like she almost possessed like look about her. Her head is a little tilted downward and uh, it's really looking like I'm going to do this. I'm going to sort of take matters into my own hands here. And of course she's thwarted by the hound who um, who grabs her just in the nick of time as if he's pretending like I just need to wipe this blood off your lip sort of thing. Um, yeah. Really unfortunate. No, no, I know. <laughs> it would have been a really different show if, if in the last episode of the first season, Sansa had tossed Joffrey mm-hmm. to the ground. Uh, and oh. that was a little surprising. You know, they they hang uh, on the shot at the end. They have these uh, low angle shots from in the pit, more or less. Mm-hmm. And um, after we sort of have that shot of the Hound jumping in to uh, to rescue Joffrey. Um, Sansa does sort of hang around for a brief moment and um, you know I don't think that they're really like implying that she's considering jumping off herself though when she first looks down that's what I thought she was going until then she looks up and looks at Joffrey right um, but uh, they do let her linger there for for uh, for a moment before they kind of cut away and but I don't get the feeling like she's thinking about jumping I think she's getting the feeling like I would have liked to see him down there. I think you're right. I think you're right. Although they are starting to build up an even worse life for Sansa. On the on the way to see her father's head, uh, Joffrey says, soon I'm going to put a baby in you, mm. which I can't imagine anything grosser. And then um, the hound's advice to her is save yourself some pain. Yeah. Give him what he wants. Right. And so um, she is maybe stealing herself for um, a horrible life as far as she can see, yeah. staying and being married to Joffrey. And, but the but even the concept of like save yourself some pain like by just having this other pain right it's like 
it's one pain for another and there's not really she is in no position to save herself from any pain like there's nothing she can do yeah uh to uh to prevent you know more heartache more physical pain being inflicted upon her bad advice hound yeah (laughs) the hound (laughs) you know the hound he doesn't really have a he's got a way with words but not with uh comforting words i guess no um He's still a pretty uh, selfish entity at this point. He hasn't quite uh, had his come to the seven moment. (laughs) (laughs) So after that is when Great John and Theon and other uh, northern lords say that John, or excuse me, that Rob should be king in the north. Oh, so fun. Yeah. I love the way that the Great John says the king in the north. It's so satisfying. Great John just makes anything look like a party. Um, well, and you see this, and this is obviously intentional, but now that, that Ned has been killed, mm-hmm. that we expect Rob's successful revenge to be the focus of the story, mm-hmm. right? And that he's going to be king of the North, he's going to avenge his father's yeah. death. And so it makes sense that um, even though the, it has been a very sad um, couple episodes, that we're supposed to be excited and that Rob is going to make a really great king and yeah. nothing will go wrong from here on out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sets us up in a way that we sort of replace who we thought were the main characters with some new characters. That then, when we finally do get to next season, that's not going to be the case. And the case is going to be like, no, we expanded the cast. Mm-hmm. Now we have all these other parties involved. Right. All these other dynamics. We're going to meet the Ironborn. We're going to meet the Stannis' crew. We're going to meet more Renly's crew, Brienne and mm-hmm. company. And so it's like, it becomes so much more of an ensemble cast where these moves at the end of this episode feel like they're rearranging the pieces to be like, okay, Rob, you take the lead. And all this kind of uh, just rearranging is like, no, no, no. The, the the board is going to get so much bigger. Right. It really pulls out instead of focusing on the Stark family saga, it pulled, mm-hmm. and we see an entire continent. And I guess that move keeps going. We're going to be seeing almost the entire world by the end, at right. least. Um, I don't know. There's some parts of the map, as far as I can tell, that are still not filled in, in the books, I mean. Yeah. Um, there are whole other continents that we haven't seen. But yeah. So they're yours. <laughs> or whatever it is. I, I've seen it spelled both ways. Yeah. Southerios. I, yeah, well, the, the way you're supposed to pronounce Y's in George's world are up for debate sometimes. Oh, okay. Like. Well, there's the part, and as as a Slavicist and someone who um, studies Russian, the place that I'm most interested in is Musavi. I don't even know that one. It's, it's, um, it's uh, sort of in between. There, so there's some theories that, that Westeros and Essos are actually connected. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the on the far sides, mm-hmm. and that place is called Musavi, and okay. that it's it's a cold place, and it's full full of vampires Ooh. and vampire hunters, <laughs> and it's also obviously taken from Muscovy. <laughs> and so, if I had my druthers, I would be I would do a whole season just in like the the Russia of Westeros, <laughs> but I don't think that's gonna happen. Well, that'd be super interesting. Um, yeah, because we do get a lot of other kind of parallels. Be like Bravos is kind of like Venice and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, I would like to. I'd like to see more of uh, like Yiti. Yes. Which is, seems like it is like Essos, China, mm-hmm. perhaps, um, and then Ashai by by the shadow. Yeah. Although yeah. I think I think uh, George R. R. Martin has said like we're not. That's not going to be neither in the books nor in the show. Yeah. That we're not going to see it, even though it seems like the most interesting place on the planet. Yeah. There's, there's some interesting folks that come from there. Yeah. <laughs> perhaps we're we're getting a little off the map. No. Right? Um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, so King in the North, rah rah rah, mm-hmm. uh, that that all goes uh, goes splendidly. Well, tragically, ultimately, but 
yeah, maybe it would have been wiser to to join forces with uh, with Renly, and he sort of turns that down. Yeah, or Stannis. Really, mm-hmm. either might have been a better yeah course than they took. But um, and we jump to uh, well, we do have the Lady Catelyn threatening uh, Jamie with the rock. Uh, we get the great line from Jamie. Uh, there are no men like me. There's only me, sort yeah. of thing. Uh, the conversation between those two is really good. Mm-hmm. Jamie's Jamie is at like peak kind of Jamie banter going on here, <laughs> where like he's backed into a corner. He doesn't care. He's just uh, gonna still be like all this little quips and and quirks and uh, um, just have none of it. Be mm-hmm. like, I could still take you, and if you don't. If you don't think, you know, if you're tired of me, just kill me. I don't care. Whatever. Yeah. Like, and we do end up, I think, losing a little bit of that as as we get into some of the more recent seasons where even where it seems like the show has potential to pull some of that stuff back in, I don't know, he just becomes a little bit more boring as, hmm. as the show goes on. Maybe it's the haircut. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's now that he, I don't know. I'm not sure why. <laughs> Um, uh, notably, though, from that shot, that's when we then cut to uh, nude Lancel sitting on the thing. So we're cutting from Jamie, who is filthy yeah. and bloody and in this kind of wet, uh, he's all wet and he's like, you know, strung up to a stake mm-hmm. out, out, outside. Um, you can see his breath visibly as he's like saying these things to Catelyn. Shift to Lancel who is in this warm environment. We actually enter through the curtains. Um, everything has this kind of yellow and red glow to it. He's nude and seemingly perfectly comfortable. Um, mm-hmm. And he comes up to Cersei and, you know, warm and, well, he warmly embraces her. She's always kind of like, Don't touch me. What am I doing here? <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, this very, again, stark contrast of, like, Who's uh, who's with Cersei this you know right yeah. now and it's it's not Jamie and Jamie's in in a really bad way. Yeah, and that's I mean really we we get so we there's this trio of scenes so you've got uh, Catelyn and, and Jamie and Jamie's in a particularly dire situation then you've got a very comfortable mm-hmm. Lancel and Cersei and but Cersei's upset I think she's reading a note it may be news that Jamie's been captured I think that's the implication oh, yeah. and then the next scene is. Um, uh, Tywin and Tyrion and the rest of the Lannister uh, officers mm-hmm. talking about how to get Jamie back. And mm-hmm. so we're seeing, we get like this good trio of scenes of like what's happening with the Lannisters. Mm-hmm. And Tywin shows maybe the most emotion that we see from him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he gets very uh, upset when um, everybody's talking about all these other priorities that that aren't Jamie. My, they have my son, he mm-hmm. sort of exclaims. Um, I took a shot of this mainly to because I don't think we've talked about sort of the the Lannister armor yet, which no. is really kind of again it's, it's its own thing. It's it's got a lot of reds in it, so it's it's definitely like it has all these adornments. Um, it has uh, kind of this gold half uh, circle kind of almost chain like adornment collar? around the collar, mm-hmm. right? Um, and the probably what stands out to me the most are are uh, the the shoulder plates, which have this kind of like lion embossed, like golden lion embossed on black, and everything has these kind of gold adornments around the outside, which of course speaks to the the gold mines of Castaway Rock and everything. But um, you know, really shows a a, a regality 
of uh, of the Lannisters and how they see themselves, and of course the the lion being very prominent in that, and mm-hmm. royalty and all this kind of thing. So they definitely see themselves in charge. There's constant references to like anytime there's a rebuke from another house, being like, "Well, the lion's the king of the jungle, right? <laughs> so why would the lion care about the wolf? Why would the lion care about the flower? Why would the yeah. lion care about whatever thing?" Yeah. It's like so they. They take that stuff uh, very seriously, and they uh, they show it in in what they wear, uh, and they make everybody else wear it, sort of being a representation of that for them. And I think it's it does at least logically suggest their wealth that even their soldiers, right, who are not a part of their family, but they're mm-hmm. wearing the most fancy armor. We mm-hmm. see knights that have less fancy armor, armor right? And so, mm-hmm. um, yeah, they've put a lot of money into into their appearance, into mm-hmm. showing their power. Yeah, it's definitely on full display here. Uh, one other thing I had for uh, actually for Lancel before we leave them entirely, though, I'm eager as anybody to get away from Lancel. Um, <laughs> he, uh, it's it's very kind of uh, I see a little bit of a parallel. Maybe it's just because of his slight build. I see a little bit of uh, Loras in the conversation with yes. Renly, and because they both actually, he seems. Um, He's a little bit excited about a war coming. Mm-hmm. He's like, is there going to be fighting? Is there going to be a war? You know, you think I was in such and such place last time. I didn't get to see the fighting. And he also calls Cersei old, which is a bad choice. <laughs> a bad move. It's like, back in the, back in the day, what was it like? Yeah. And she's like, <laughs> anyway. Uh, yeah. Um, but, you know, I definitely see the parallels with, uh, with Loras and the conversation I had with Renly, both saying, talking about how they haven't fought, how they haven't seen blood. Uh, granted, they're at least a little bit more like, trying to get prepared for it mm-hmm. Lancel is just totally oblivious and uh, in his own world and uh you know he'll pay his penance later but yeah. um definitely sets up this uh the, the contrast there and that the contrast between he and jamie as well right mm-hmm. battle-hardened uh individual versus uh someone who has no concept of what this is but still being put in this same position of privilege yeah what does she see in him <laughs> who knows maybe Lannister? <laughs> <laughs> he does have that Lannister yeah. hair. Do we want to go up to the wall for a sec? Sure. John's feeling torn between his his old family, right? Um, which, of course, is complicated because he was uh, not trueborn, and especially Catelyn hated his guts. And then he's torn be- and between that and his new family, his brothers. And especially since in episode nine, um, Lord Commander Mormont gives him their ancestral sword, Longclaw, that he's been sort of adopted as um, Gior's mm-hmm. son to replace Jorah. But John decides that that's not good enough and it, that he's going to leave and he's going to join Rob's war effort. And he actually kicks Sam over <laughs> to, <laughs> when he's leaving Castle Black, which I hadn't remembered and mm-hmm. um, I thought was very mean. <laughs> yeah. And Sam was doing a good job of trying to like put up a shield. Like This was Sam showing courage yeah. at a certain point. And maybe it was courage built out of fear yeah. of what but might happen John to John. kicks him in the face. Yeah. <laughs> Just pushes him right over. And then and then Sam gets hit by a, a branch later. Poor <laughs> no. Sam. He really he's, has it rough this episode. He's really he's doing the physical comedy <laughs> in episode 10. Yeah. Oh, actually, speaking of the, that physical comedy, uh, well, one, um, we do have uh, a scene with Picel at a certain point in this episode, yes. which is a nice bit of physical comedy, mm-hmm. uh, where he's uh, he's been had a session with Roz, and he's sort of babbling on about all the kings, and it's meant to be like about how you know his his mind is wandering all these places and just babbling. Um, there's some inter- I like the lighting coming through where um, 
you know, uh, even in the books, we talk about like how Pycelle's beard sort of like makes him look a little bit more sort of regal, and we yeah. see the light coming through, and we see right through it, so we can see his like small chin underneath this mm-hmm. this uh, this um, beard of his. Raza eventually leaves after saying like, "What's the thing about you kings you were saying?" And he's like, uh, "I don't know, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> what thing?" Um, and she's like, "Never mind." Um, and then uh, you know he gets up and stretches, and again we see the light coming through. We see the sort of the feeble man underneath but he's jumping around he's very spry and mm-hmm. then he puts all of his his uh maester garb on and as he reaches for the door he does this like hunch over and it's just it's kind of a gag yeah <laughs> but, yeah uh, it's 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 amusing no and it, it's funny but it also t- um tells us about his character that even he can pretend to be um more infirm and a little bit more doddering than mm-hmm. he is that he that he he can walk straight backed and he can do sort of calisthenics <laughs> after having sex with Ross. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then once he, once he leaves that he, um, he adopts this hunchback post- posture and, and pretends to be like, Oh, I don't know what yeah. you're talking about. It might be like his way of like various, you know, playing his role. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. I got to be the maester. I'm the old crank. You know, well, granted, I don't know that he could not be an old crank, <laughs> but maybe it's degrees. Right. Um, so, um, and the other thing I was thinking as far as the comedy bits we have this isn't a, a comedy bit, but it's playing off of the previous one where uh, Tywin pours wine for Tyrion. Where previously we had Ty- Tyrion come in and uh, comically so, like reaching for his wine cup and Tywin pulling it away. Mm-hmm. Uh, in this case, pouring it for him um, before saying, "You need to be the hand of the king yeah. in my stead." Uh, sorry, I took us away from the wall. <laughs> no, that's okay. I really, I mean, there's not that much to be said other than I. I did not love how this scene went down. That you've got you've got John uh, riding quickly away, and then Gren and Pip and Sam follow after him. Sam gets clotheslined by mm-hmm. by a tree branch, and John goes back to see if he's okay. And then the three men surround John and do the oath. And it just I don't know. It just seemed so cheesy. It really didn't sit very well with me mm-hmm. um they're like you've said the words and then they repeat the words yeah. and and in in chorus i don't know um <laughs> it i don't know it struck me as as not <sighs> just so lame just so <laughs> so lame um i do like the way when they come back the conversation with uh with mormont um honor made you leave honor brought you back and then he's like you know, it, it's a, I didn't say it was your honor. I thought that was a good, like, snap. That's good. Mm-hmm. That's good. But the way that they did it was not good. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was kind of thinking that um, costume-wise, so starting next season, we're going to see John with not his sort of light fur cloak, um, but it'll, he'll be all in blacks. I was kind of thinking that this would have been actually the right time to sort of, like, have him switch to like an all black outfit like yeah. show the full transition but um i mean budgets of costume department i guess whatever but they do still have him in his cloak that he wore from winterfell here as they're heading out to the wall and then that will magically disappear in between between seasons here right um but uh i i think that is that's the transition that happens in character um so i don't know it seemed like a missed opportunity not to have that transition happen with uh with the costuming as well Especially since it sticks out, he's pretty much the only one who wears anything but black. Mm-hmm. Maybe they thought we still wouldn't recognize him, but yeah, I agree that it it seems that everyone's clothes, you know, sort of tells us about what their allegiances are. Mm-hmm. That by keeping him in a in a in a west um, 
Winterfell garb that it doesn't seem like he's really mm-hmm. serious about his vows. Um, so I think we've got two more locations, right? Mm-hmm. We've got some a little bit more King's Landing, and we've got uh, Danny mm-hmm. in Dragonsborn. So maybe we finish off some King's Landing stuff. Sure. Because these also have some of my favorite shots. Um, we get the conversation between Varys and Littlefinger that I thought we were going to get the last time, but no, this is actually the one that, <laughs> that, I, really, that I really like because... Um, of the shot that they end up getting to at the end. So it's not as dramatic of a, of a shot of a little finger looking at the throne, though we do see he and Varys now looking at the throne and both of their sort of opinions on the matter um, for a little bit of more extensive time. But then they end up walking uh, back through the, the throne room, uh, quipping back and forth with one another. Awesome banter. I just love yeah. it. Yeah. Um, they're both sort of... And they end up in this... Uh, this uh, standstill at the end where they talk about how they actually admire one another and how sincere are they being it's it who's who's to say right yeah. but uh, they end up being uh, standing right across from one another and we have this kind of cross-sectional shot looking at the uh, the stained glass windows in the background and again if we were going to draw some of those comparisons between Jorah's uh, uh, scabbard and eyes we have these two sort of seven-pointed stars that kind of appear like irises and I think, you know, the fact that these are the two spy characters yeah. kind of spying and looking around and, um, and it's almost like their, their iconography almost to a certain extent. Um, it's just a very kind of like very well composed look yeah. to the, to the shot and, uh, you know, reflective of, I think of what they're doing and, um, who's watching who under, under his eye and its tail line. Um, and uh, that paralleling a little bit, at least uh, compositionally speaking, um, Arya having this conversation with Gendry later as they're looking off to the glorious path they're about to embark on up, mm-hmm. to, up to the wall, um, sort of uh, amid all of this kind of smoke and building things in the courtyard of this sort of uh, the gate, like a, a entryway to the gate area, or I guess the going to be the exit of the gate. Uh, they're reloading on the wains, and they're meeting all of these other uh, horrible people who are going to be on their uh, path with them. Uh, Jock and Hagar and folks are in the cage, so we don't really get to see them. We see people in a, there are people in a cage, um, but we're not given a proper look. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other thing that I think is notable about the scene is there's a lot of people like working and washing, uh, cleaning out fabrics and stuff like that, and it's all this red fabric. Yes. So, so you noticed that too? Yes, I did. Um, so, you know, I guess that could be, like, one, it could be about, like, a lot of blood-stained things, or it could just be, like, well, the Lannisters are in charge now, so let's, like, clean out all their stuff, because that's going to be what's going up now or something, or, I don't know, what do you think? Yeah, or it may be something, again, with the Lannisters sort of rising in power, that they'll dictate what the fashions are, right? That people mm-hmm. will wear red because, like, those who wear red are in power, or, mm-hmm. or something. I think... Oh, um, yeah, that there's some sort of connection with the Lannisters come into town, and so everything is red, although certainly also stained in blood. Right. I mean, there's the the Lannister implications with that, with the um, when uh, Aerys Targaryen and the children were slain and how they were brought forth before the throne in a red Lannister cloak to hide their blood. So it could be, you know, a saying about how uh, the Lannisters are, you know, essentially killed all these people mm-hmm. and maybe they're not wanting it to look so bad to yeah. people on the outside. So we have all these red fabrics that are sort of coating, coating the scenes. Like, oh, it's not, 
The city's not covered in blood. It's just, uh, just, yeah, just, it's just, just fabric. Yeah, just yeah. Lannisters. Flags. <laughs> Y'all like flags. Um, so, yeah, that's that's uh, that's what I have for uh, King's Landing. So Yeah, and she leaves. Uh, I, I, did, I was just thinking about... Um, how different it was when she and, or excuse me, Arya and mm-hmm. Sansa and everyone arrived King's Landing, and then her arrival or her departure, man, her departure <laughs> is is so different, right? That she's with a bunch of um, like the poorest criminal on foot, right? Mm-hmm. That she's just got a different uh, exit. Also, it echoes a little bit that um, her exit going through this gate, and then um, John and the rest of the Night's Watch going through the wall. Mm-hmm. So there's everyone's on this in on these. Um, liminal spaces going through to the next stage mm-hmm. um and then over with with danny and essos mm-hmm. we've got another sort of uh sad scene with with her and drogo where um she ends up smothering him with a pillow uh we both kind of like enter and exit physically enter and exit the scene with the camera here entering the tents with a forward motion in and then exiting with a reverse motion back out so mm-hmm. looking in so it's definitely like uh, getting insight into this ext- extremely private moment for a number of reasons. Like, one, you know, last uh, connection between husband and wife here, between these two people who cared for one another, um, but also private. And so I hope nobody sees this because I'm going to kill him with a pillow. Um, <laughs> you know, that's a really kind of sad scene and then sets up the the pyre later. And that's, a, I think, a, a well-known scene, right? Mm-hmm. And it also, it's it's echoed in in uh finales that will come later that you've got this concentric concentric circles of fire mm. um you've got uh drogo in the middle and the eggs and miriam Mazdur chained to the side Daener- daenerys walks in once everything's burned down she stands up nude with the dragons and then everyone bows and that seems um similar to the finale misa mm. where she's surrounded and then also again, um, I mean, this is a, seems like to, to be a similar uh, a, a common shot you've got when uh, Ramsey Bolton and and Jon Snow fight, and that he's in the middle of all the soldiers, mm-hmm. and also the the White Walker symbols and the Children of the Fire, uh, yeah. Children of the Forest symbols that are all like these circles. I mean, it's not there are only so many shapes you can choose from. Yeah. I understand that they may not all uh-huh. mean or signify the same thing, but it's a it's a it's a shot that's come back to a lot. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely think, as far as the ice and fire connections, I think the connections with the White Walkers, I, 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 can't, I can't imagine that's not accidental, mm-hmm. right? Um, especially, like, because it, it's, it be, it's like a, an action that's taking place in, a, like, a ritual mm-hmm. sort of environment. Um, we have another instance of, like, fire that is logs that are more flammable than any log you've ever seen like maybe they got this fire from Jon Snow in the lantern I don't mm-hmm. know but yeah <laughs> um really sort of sets a flame instantly maybe they doused it in something who knows probably not but uh you know the the scene where we come up to Daenerys afterwards before she's holding the dragons she's kind of crouched over she's almost in like as much of like an egg little shape right and she sort of like stands up almost like she's broken out of that that shape and she was like this little ashen rock and Mm -hmm. then no human and i've got these dragons yo so yeah indeed (laughs) um i feel like i also did something and i I feel like her hair burns off in the books i can't recall i think so they're weird with what burns her and whatnot in the show um kind of complicate things but yeah and also i mean 
they want to keep Amelia Clark looking beautiful, yeah, so yeah. they're not going to burn away her mm-hmm. her platinum hair. Mm-hmm. Um, not, not too much soot on the face. <laughs> just just like in a sexy just way. A little bit. Just Whatever. A little dusting. The, yeah. <laughs> so um, I think Alan Taylor did a great job with mm-hmm. these two episodes. He's done a lot of things for HBO and also did the first. I didn't realize this did the first two episodes for Mad Men. Okay, and I didn't I, know that. So he's um, he's got some pedigree, but he also did like Thor: Dark World Oof. and. Um, oh, there was something else. Terminator Genesis? That one, yes. <laughs> Sorry, looking at his Wikipedia page. So he's got some hits and some misses. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I think he did a nice job um, with these last two episodes. And he will he um, he did an episode or two in season two. And then he's also supposed to be back in season seven. Yes, he's got one for season seven. I wonder if that's some of his troubles are uh, maybe somebody who's seen as a TV director making this transition into feature films. Maybe he's just not given sort of this auteur kind of outlook but it's more like you know something like a thor movie is like marvel studios like we need somebody who who's gonna be reliable here this guy brings stuff in on time bring him in you yeah. know i don't know yeah and then i i don't think there's any excuse for terminator Genesis. i didn't see that but yeah <laughs> just from from the outlook that i had to yeah uh yeah you know i echoing what i said before i think the uh I think these are, are nicely shot episodes. I like the second one in terms of the way that it looks a little bit more. It seems like it's got a little bit more going on uh, from a di- directorial standpoint anyway um, in episode two. But it's yeah. a total continuation. Yeah, I think you could watch these. I kind of took a little bit of a break in between episodes, but I think mm-hmm. you could watch it all the way through and it would just feel like a two-hour movie. Yeah, yeah. They, um, they dovetail really nicely. Mm-hmm. Which uh, is maybe the benefit of having directors do two at a time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think that that's a season. <gasps> yeah, season one of uh, of Game of Thrones. Here we've covered in in Mummer's farce. Um, you know, I think maybe we could do a little bit of uh, since we've been going long enough. Maybe we recap a little bit more of some of season wide next week when we also do our uh, our season seven prep. That also might be a fun time for predictions mm-hmm. and Definitely. just uh, yeah, just I I'm already having Game of Thrones dreams. I just can't yeah. wait. So. It was great to wrap up season one. I think we've got some really exciting... I'm really excited about, one, the new season starting, but, like, you know, let's change up the format a little bit, right? We're going to talk about uh, promotional things and trailers Mm -hmm. and season seven preparation all around uh, next time. And then we're going to get into our one episode a week, you know, kind of weeklies of the the current episodes as they air. Um, So I'm looking forward to that, too. Me, too. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I guess let's let's just wrap up here. We've we've got, of course... uh, our email address if you want to send us any questions or concerns or critiques compliments um, compliments yeah how about some compliments that'd be great <laughs> um that's the the mummers farce podcast at gmail.com uh you can of course find our uh podcast on itunes and google play as well as sort of our our normal website which is a libsyn website um and we're also on twitter mummers farce pod at uh at mummers farce pod or just search for the mummers farce on twitter and where the account that will pop up um where you can see uh new episodes come up and also screenshots uh that sort of illustrate some of the points that we were talking about during the during our conversations here so that's it um it's a season what a season what a season um (laughs) we'll see everybody next week i'm so excited for next week all right thanks kate all right thanks dan bye